Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Jenny. It's good to be here. Yeah, come on back, wrap up some conversations. We actually have uh, coffee from Arrow, Arrow Coffee. It's one of the best places in town. If you have a chance to check it out, that'd be great. Um, But yeah, if you could wrap that up, we'll be going ahead and getting started here uh, in just a second. Uh, What I want to do when we uh, get started this morning, I just want to pray for every single one of us. I think that uh, what happens is it's it's easy for us just to come into a place, uh, especially on a Sunday morning, we come to church, we do our religious activities, right? I'm finger quoting that. And we, we often think, okay, like, I just want to hear a good message and feel good about myself, and then I'll leave. And what I really want to, for us to understand this morning is that we need to hear from God. That none of that matters. It's not about doing religious duty. It's not about just marking the checkbox. Today, we genuinely want to hear from the true, the living God, and he wants to speak to every single one of us this morning. So let's go ahead and just pray and pray that God speaks to us this morning. God, thank you so much just for who you are, your faithfulness towards us, your grace, your goodness, God. God, I pray for every single person in this room, including myself. God, that today, uh, this message would not just be from me. God, that it would be from you. That we would take this message, we would take what we, we learn from it, God, and that we would use it to, uh, to, to move us, God, to, uh, to change the way that we live, God, to change our way of thinking about you. God, I pray that this wouldn't just say here, God, that it would be just living and walking as we leave this place. Come and speak to us this morning. In your name, amen. All right. Well, for those of you who, uh, have, not, uh, who have not introduced myself to, my name is Rob. Uh, it's very nice to meet all of you. I'm glad you guys could be here this morning with us. We've been going through a series called Paradoxes, uh, and a paradox is two seemingly true statements that are, or false statements that are true at the same time. So sometimes you think like, man, these are, these are at odds with one another. But biblically, when we see certain, uh, certain qualities or characteristics of both God and ourselves, we see two things that maybe seem contrary, but they actually are both true. And so today what we're talking about is the idea of being both a sinner and a saint. Uh, Now, uh, just a little thing ahead of time, as we go through this message, I do want to say we are going through a number of different references today. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see that there's notes all written out for you with fill in the blanks. Go ahead and follow along with me and jot down those references as we go. You can go back to them later on. We do have a weekly reading, too, that also um, is supplemental to some of the stuff that we we speak about uh, here on Sunday mornings, and so that would be really uh, helpful for you as well. So we're going to go through this really quick. Uh, It may seem like, man, like, what are you doing? Where are you going? Uh, But I promise you, as we get to the end of today's message, I'm going to bring this in for a nice smooth landing. So please stay with me, okay? Now that that's out of the way. We need to start off, first and foremost, with two assumptions. These are necessary things that are true of God that we need to understand and we need to, to fully grasp. The first thing is this. What God says is true. What God says is true. Proverbs 35 says this, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. John 18:37, here's another verse. Jesus is speaking to Pilate. Pilate is 
uh, talking to Jesus right before he's about to go and be crucified. And Pilate is just asking him, just investigating what is going on. Like, who are you? Uh, what's, what's the deal with you? And Jesus says this. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Did you catch it? Jesus is saying right there, when you listen to my voice, when you hear what I'm saying, you're hearing truth. So we know, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, what God says is true. Every word of the Lord proves itself to be true. You can take it at face value because it's proven to be true. The second assumption we need to make is our feelings and thoughts deceive us. Our feelings and our thoughts deceive us. Uh, I was joking with my wife uh, the other day. I don't know if you guys know, but we, uh, we have a brand new child in our family. Three weeks old. Yeah, almost, almost a month. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when there's a new baby added to the family, it ch- changes the dynamic a little bit. And, um, you know, you start questioning, like, okay, like, how do I figure this little human being out? Right? And sometimes there's, you know, tears, like, on both her and me and... My wife, you know, like we're, we're all trying to figure it out. Like, we don't know, we don't know how, to, how to have a child. Like, we're still figuring out who she is, her personality, like her cues. Okay, am I hungry? Am I tired? Am I, all these things. And the funny thing is, it's like when she starts crying and you can't put her to sleep or you can't help her, you feel like, oh my gosh, I am such a failure. Like, there's, there's something inside of you. I don't know what it is, but... The cry of a baby, especially of your baby, is like the worst noise in the world. It's just, it seeps into your soul, your very being, and you're just like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. Like, what is wrong? Like, I can't figure this out. And so, you know, my wife and I, just a few days ago, we were just like sitting on our bed, and we're just like, oh, like, what's going on? Like, you know, maybe a little dramatic, but in a sense, like, it was, we were just at our wits end. We're like, we can't figure out what's going on. And I just made a little joke because uh, I was preparing for this message and, and this is one of the points. And I'm like, you know, what's really funny is in the history of the world, nobody's feelings or thoughts have ever been wrong. Sarcastically, of course. That's obviously false. In the history of the world, our feelings and thoughts have never been wrong. That's obviously false because I don't know about you, but my feelings and my thoughts change on a daily basis. Like, I can't I can't just say, okay, I'm thinking 100% accurately or correct right now, or I'm feeling 100% accurately or correct right now. Sometimes there's feelings that we have that aren't genuinely true about us or about other people. I could feel a certain way about somebody, that 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 doesn't mean that it's true about them, right? So the same thing is is true uh, here. Our feelings and thoughts, they deceive us. Proverbs 28, 26 says this, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. That's like the harshest language you could think of. If you trust in your own mind, you're a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's not just talking about other people understanding your heart. That's talking about you understanding your own heart. You can't even understand your own heart. So these two assumptions we need, we need to start off with. Number one, what God says is true. And number two, our feelings and our thoughts deceive us. All right, so 
a few weeks ago when Jonathan talked to me about speaking about this message, he's like, hey, let's talk about sinners and saints. And I said, okay, great, you know, you're giving me the sin message. This is going to be fun for all of us, right? Like, it's going to be awesome, and you know what? I really want to just get into this and dig into it. Uh, I promise I'm going somewhere. So let's, let's talk about the definition of sin. Wayne Grudem says this, Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. It's failure to conform to the moral law of God in both our acts, the things that we do, our attitudes, so that's our thoughts, and the very fabric of who we are, our nature, our very being. It's failure to conform to who he is. So there's primarily two types of sin. The first is inherited sin. Inherited sin. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, this is Romans 5.12, and death through sin, in this way, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Every single one of us in this room is born a sinner. And ultimately, what God says is death is the consequence or the result of sin. Of you being a sinner, you are completely and utterly hopeless. That's what it says. We die because we're sinners. And something that's important, I think a distinction that a lot of people often um, confuse, is we often think, okay, like, I'm a sinner because I sin, but it's actually the opposite. I sin because I am a sinner. I don't know if you catch the difference between those two things. One is saying that being a sinner is, is my nature. It's who, I've, who I am. That's who I've, who I've been since birth. I'm a sinner. Therefore, as a consequence, I sin, not the other way around. Do you follow? Okay. So the very nature of our being was affected when Adam sinned. Adam, uh, he was in the garden with his wife. When Adam sinned, the curse spread throughout all of humanity like a plague. Every single one of us is now infected with that curse. We're all sinners. Every single one of us in this room. Everyone on the face of the earth. The second type of sin is imputed sin. This is what the word imputed means. It's kind of a fancy word that uh, uh, it's actually got a, a financial implication to it. And it means this, to account to someone the blessing, curse, debt of another. Uh, so, for example, let's think about a way to describe this. Most of us in here have a job. Okay, so we work our job. Uh, every two weeks we get paid, right? Hopefully you get paid. Uh, that would be sad if you worked a job and didn't get paid. So every two weeks you work a job and you get paid. The payment is imputed to your account because of the work that you put into it. Does that make sense? It's kind of this idea of I worked for something, therefore I received something. Or I, I did something, therefore I received something. So in a similar sense, when we sin, it's imputing or accounting to our account uh, the sin that is in us. So, for example, this is a cool little illustration that uh, I'd like to show you guys. Here I have a few pieces of paper. Let's just call them uh, potential sin. Okay, they're blank right now. So we're going to go through and talk about a couple of different sins. So, for example, uh, adultery, right? In the Ten Commandments, it says, don't commit adultery. That's my paraphrase, something like that. 
So Jesus actually in the New Testament said, if I think of a woman with uh, lustful intent, I've committed adultery. And I'm confident in the history of my life I've done that. So I will write down adultery. All right. Crumple it up. Here's my cool little bank account of sins. Toss it in. Now, uh, have I ever dishonored my parents? Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) I'm sure if they listen to this, I'm sorry, Mom and Dad, if you listen to this message later. Actually, I have a fun story. When I was younger, uh, I got caught lying to my parents, and uh, they they made me, actually, it's ironic that I'm using these little yellow pads, because... Um, they made me write it. I will honor my mother and father. I, yeah, that's going to be ingrained in my brain forever, right? I will honor my mother and father 10,000 times. 10,000 times. And I am not exaggerating. Do you know how many of those yellow legal pads it took? Front and back. Three legal pads, front and back, of every piece of paper. So I don't dishonor them anymore, but I have. Whoop, I missed. I'm also not a basketball player, as you can tell. Um, all right. Have I ever wanted something that's not mine? Say, for example, the newest tech gadget. Uh, man, I like want it. I dwell on it. I think about it. That's called coveting. Okay? And, I mean, I could go on and on with all these different sins, right? There's a slew of them. There's the Ten Commandments. You know, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. Idolatry. Uh, In this culture, technology is an idol for a lot of people. Um, Video games, technology, Netflix binging. Anybody in here? Yeah? That's, oh, now we're getting real. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So, every single time I sin... The imputed sin is adding to my bank account. So the inherited sin is something that's it's in my nature to sin. Imputed sin is stuff that gets added to my account. Okay? You follow? Anybody? Cool. All right. Let's move on. So we need to uh, understand. So let's look at Romans uh, 5, 13 and 14 right now. 13 says this, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. Okay, so let me explain this. Prior to uh, Moses going up to Mount Sinai and getting the Ten Commandments, do you guys remember the movie Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston? That's like way aging. I'm dating myself here. Like, that's a long time ago. So he goes up, he gets the Ten Commandments. Those are all of the laws that God scribed or wrote out that says this is how you should live. These are the, the things that are important, and this is truth. This is how you should live. So, until that point, we still had inherited sin built into us, right, from the time that Adam sinned. So, death still reigned, but impu- imputation, the idea of it, came after the Ten Commandments were uh, given by God. So, our accounts were all opened at that point. Okay? So, what are some of the implications of sin? Number one, We are totally unable to do good before God. We're totally unable to do good before God. Take a look at Isaiah 64, 6. 
says this, We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. That's a little harsh. Filthy rags. Your good works, your good deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags to God. Because of the very nature of who we are, it's changed. It's corrupted. God doesn't see our good works. Now what happens a lot of times is we think, when we go back to our account, oh, if I do a good work, I can just do that, right? I'll just pull one of those sins out and throw it away. Does that, does that make sense? A lot of people think that way. Like, I, my good needs to outweigh my bad, right? I'm up on campus often. Uh, we're connecting with students and trying to reach people. Uh, and we have conversations with people about, okay, like, what is truth? What does it look like? Who is God? What's the source of truth? All of these things. And a lot of times people will go back to the very first point that we talked about and say, you know, like, I just, I feel like if I'm good, you know, if I just do enough good works and all of that, like, God's just going to say, you know what, you're just, you're just too good, you know. You're just too good. Like, I can't, I, can't, I can't hold the sin against you. There's no way. That's not what God does, though. We can't pull things out just because we do good deeds, because our nature is sinful. We are sinners. So we're totally unable to do good before God. Now, the cool thing is, God uses imputation to benefit us. How did he do it? Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's this common idea that God's love supersedes everything, including his own justice. That is completely false. God is just, but God is also graceful and loving. Now, both of those are true at the same time. How do I know that? He sent his own son. God came here, put on flesh, saw our wickedness, our sinfulness, And he said, not only am I going to come down there and live a perfect life, never sinning, he didn't have the sinful nature to begin with because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, came down here and said, I am going to take on me the sins of every single person in humanity who ever lived or whoever will live. Every single person. So really what Jesus was doing is he was taking the account and he did this. He he basically closed our account. However, he closed our account to those who receive him. Do you follow? Thank you, Alicio. Romans, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. That is the cure. Otherwise, we are completely hopeless. We can't save ourselves. There's no way. It's impossible. It is absolutely hopeless in our own 
right. We cannot do it. The only way for us to do it is to look to him who can. That's it. It's so simple. So God uses imputation to our benefit. All right, so now let's talk about saints. Let's talk about what a saint is. The word saint comes from the Greek verb hagiazo, which means to set apart or to make holy. Okay? A lot of times we have this idea of a uh, saint is somebody who's canonized. It's a fancy word for meaning like uh, the church says you are sainted, right? You are sainted. Your great works are incredible. You've uh, performed miracles and all of these things. Therefore, you are a saint. Let's see what uh, God's word says. 1 Peter 2, 10 through 9, uh, 9 through 10 says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a What? Holy nation? He's speaking to us and saying, hey, you're a saint. All of you are. If you are found in me, if you're a believer, you're following Christ, you are a saint. So let's look at some of the implications. Number one, we're free from the power of sin. We're free from it. If we've accepted Christ as both our Lord and Savior, we're actively following him. He rules our life. We're free from the power of sin. Romans 8, 1 through 4 says this, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So right here, he's even saying the law can't save you. All it's doing is it's confirming what's already true about you. The law can't save you. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Uh, Think about it like this. If... Uh, somebody commits a murder and goes before a judge, the judge has the absolute right and authority to condemn them for their murder, essentially sentence them to life in prison or uh, death, right? You've taken a life, therefore, this is the just requirement of the law that I punish you according to what you've done. In the same way, Jesus essentially came in and took upon himself the punishment that every single one of us deserves, thereby making us saints and completely blameless in God's sight. Justice was served. God is just, therefore justice had to be served, and it was served in his son Christ. We are not paying for that justice. Now, one thing I want to point out here, this verse... And Paul, in the New Testament, he, he very plainly talks about how um, 
He does the things that he doesn't want to do. So in other words, just because we're free from the power of sin does not mean we never sin again. Okay? We still sin. We still make mistakes. The difference is right here. The account's closed. It's sin's not held against us. If we're following Christ, that sin is not held against us. It's like it just bounces right off. Because Jesus says, hey, God sees me instead of you. You follow? All right. The second thing we need is living in Christ is a life of fullness. This is so critical for all of us. To be a saint, we need to live in Christ, and living in Christ is a life of fullness. Colossians 2, 9-10 says this, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. You have been what? You've been what? You guys, go ahead, you can say it. (laughs) This is good response right here. You've been what? Filled. Filled. Say that word filled one more time. Filled. Filled. You've been filled in him. So in other words, God resides in you. You have complete fullness of God in you. But a lot of times our mentality is, I sinned, I screwed up, I made a mistake, therefore there's so many empty areas of my life. God, like, oh, like I'm just a failure, I'm terrible, I'm the worst. That's not true. That's not what God says about us. We make mistakes, yes, but God says, I care about you, I love you, you're in my son. I see my son, I don't see you. So living in Christ gives us a life of fullness to be the people he designed us to be, to have a purpose in life. All of these things, God gives us a life of fullness. Uh, The mentality a lot of times people have of of, uh, being a Christ follower, being a Christian is, man, there's all these rules. You just got to follow all these rules. Christ came so that we would completely wipe all those rules away. He's giving us freedom. In Galatians 5.1 it says, it's for freedom's sake you've been set free. Right? A few weeks ago, we talked about uh, serving uh, slaves and and, uh, servants, right? The idea is you have to serve somebody. Jonathan said, uh, what's the the song? Bob Dylan or? Bob Dylan, you got to serve someone, right? You got to serve someone. When we serve Christ, we have fullness. We have freedom. We have the fullness of him in us. That's so critical for us just to know. So what do we do? How do we make it practical? Let's bring this in for a nice landing. How do we make it practical? One thing, it's real easy. Trust and follow Christ. That's it. Trust and follow Christ. It looks really easy. Sometimes it's not so easy. Sometimes it requires us to step out and be bold and have faith. Sometimes when there is hopelessness. But God says that I've come to give you life and give it abundantly. God wants to give us an abundance of himself. And he can do it right now. I want to pray for every single one of us here. And the band's going to come on up. We're going to go through one more song. But I just get a sense that Maybe there's someone in here who's never accepted Christ or received him as Lord and Savior. I would love to just invite you to him. I want to demonstrate who he is to you. 
So let's pray. If you've never accepted Christ and you say, man, I want that. I want God. I want to have that life of fullness. I want to live in the purpose He has for me. You can just say these words after me. Not out loud. You can say them in your heart. Just mean the words is your own. Just say something like this. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I believe that Jesus died for me. That he has eternal life to give me. And God, I'm sorry for my sins. I repent. I don't want to follow my sins anymore. God, I want to follow you. So I accept you as Savior and Lord to control my life. God, thank you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're a follower of Christ in here, if you're a Christian, you'd say, I've committed to, to Christ. I surrendered my life to him. Maybe there are some things that have been holding you back and not experiencing the saintedness that he wants you to live in, or the fullness. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's a specific sin that you've been dealing with. Maybe you just don't feel like God has your best interest in mind. I want to pray for you right now. I, I believe that God wants to do something in this moment to change the way that we think. That He wants to come and bring restoration to those areas. That he wants to give fullness to you, to you. God, I thank you so much just for what you've done today. God, in exposing our brokenness, God, but demonstrating your love in your Son. God, that you have abundance, you have fullness for us. I pray for everyone in this room. God, that we would live, we'd walk in the fullness that you have to give us. God, we'd embrace you as Lord and Savior. And not just follow you, God, but trust you to know what you're doing. You have our best interest in mind. Even when it's painful, even when it's challenging, God, you have our best interest in mind. You desire to help us become overcomers. God, I thank you so much just for the way that you spoke today. I pray that you'd continue to speak to us now as we, as we sing. We ask this in your name. Amen.